All right. And we're rolling. Yeah, excited <laughs> to have you here, man. Thanks uh, for having me. Brandon Gray, shop's name. Right now it's somewhat virtual, but it's Brandoni Pepperoni. That's me. Am I pronouncing that right? It's perfect. Um, tell me more about Brandoni Pepperoni. Brandoni Pepperoni um, started off about two years ago during the pandemic. Um, April 7th is actually the... Coming up. It's coming up. That'll yeah. be two years right there. Yeah. Um, it started off as a virtual kitchen. Um, started off as a joke, to be completely honest. A good friend of my high school friend asked me if I knew how to make deep dish... Or she asked me if I knew how to make deep dish pizza. Mm -hmm. I lied. I said, of course I do. Never, <laughs> make, never made pizza a day in my life. And she commissioned me for four pizzas. I called my best friend right after. I told her about the new commission job. She was like, look, like I haven't eaten all day. Can you make me a pizza as well? And I'm just like, wait a minute, is this is this a thing? She's like, I don't see why not. And I was just like, I don't even have a name for this. And within five minutes, we had Brandoni pepperoni and I was selling pizzas from there. So so Brandoni pepperoni, how did you, did you come up with that? Did your friend come up with that? My best friend came up with the idea. Okay. My mom used to call me Brandoni as a child and you know, brandoni, pepperoni, sort of kind of just went hand in hand, tongue in cheek. It works. Yeah. It works. Um, and so April 7th, mm -hmm. 2020, mm -hmm. man, <laughs> the what, a, what a moment right. to uh, to get into uh, right. and launch a small business. Um, how were how were the first couple of weeks or first month? What, what was it like to like get going? What were, what were some of the uh, biggest question marks you had? You know, it, it just started off as like supplemental income. Like I was helping a, a colleague of mine run his business and I wanted to do something on the side just to sort of kind of like get my name out there. And what it is now, like I'm here in New York talking to you at Slice headquarters. Like, was that my dream like two years ago? No, it was only just to make like a few extra hundred bucks mm -hmm. in a month. I think about one month after the business had opened up, it had landed in the hands of um, Evan Kleiman, who's um, NPR, mm -hmm. and she spoke about it on the radio. And then after that, a month later, I was in the Los Angeles Times. So from April to July, I was already in like one of the biggest publications in the world, the Los Angeles Times. And it's just sort of kind of... Yeah, it's an amazing story. And we'll get into some of the details of the journey. I want to go back to walk me through the first three pizzas that you made for your friend. How did, how did the end product become so so special? You know, I think it's just using all California products. Uh -huh. Everything came from the farmer's market. So I've been going to the farmer's market since 2016. So I've forged like these wonderful relationships with the farmers. And I knew that anything that I was gonna put my name on, I would not sacrifice an integrity of the ingredient. So the first few pizzas all sort of kind of like, all the produce came from the farmer's market and I was using local flowers from California as well. So it just went with my whole food philosophy. And I wanna zoom back out and go to earlier days mm -hmm. of your philosophy and making great product mm -hmm. uh, and food. You're, you're a chef, mm -hmm. started off in the Navy. Correct. How did that come to be? Um, I think 17, getting out of high school, didn't really have an exact plan with what I wanted to do. Um, I was in the Boy Scouts as a at a very young age, so I transitioned from the Boy Scouts to the military. It was a fairly easy transition because all of the troop leaders had served in like the Vietnam War. So they were sort of kind of like, if wow. you don't have anything planned as far as like college, maybe the military is the best uh, option for you. So I did that for four years and served as a, a cook slash chef. And that was sort of kind of like the 
the start point for me. And so four years in the Navy. Right. So I was on small, small ships. So mm -hmm. the personnel was probably anything between 400 and 500 people. That's a small ship. That's a small ship. What's a big ship? Oh, we're <laughs> talking like 5,000 wow. or more. It's yeah. like an island, mm -hmm. a floating island. But I was very fortunate to work for the officers. So essentially like 20 to 30 of the highest personnel people. Highest ranking ship. officers. Yep. And and so you would you would be the sort of head chef on this Correct. on this ship. Right. Four or five hundred people. What were what were some of your mm. most interesting stories from from that journey? Give us one. <laughs> uh, on the spot question. How about this? On my nineteenth birthday, we pulled into Rome, so I got to experience like true Roman style pizza at nineteen years old. And oh, that's you, I remember trying it, and I was just like, "This isn't that good. Yeah, it's not that good." And you know, fast forward, what like. Staying there 20 years and I'm making pizza now. Yeah, uh, which which is in your in your mind much better than the original. I'd like to think so. <laughs> I'm curious to go back to that uh that restaurant and try it all over again. I think you should do that. Mm -hmm. I think you should find a way to make it back there and, and see what it's like today. Italy's definitely on the um the travel scope for sure. And we talk about this, uh, you know, this is an, a, a topic that I want to cover with as many guests as possible, which is what do you think is the gap? geographically for, you know, great pizza. And, and I'll say it this way simply. A lot of people associate New York with great pizza. Mm -hmm. But when they think of LA, generally speaking, they don't think of great pizza. And there's a lot of stories about, is it the New York water and, you know, all these things. And these are all obviously not necessarily true. What do you think is, is, um, is the gap between okay pizza and like great pizza in, in any geography? Well, I think Pizza as a whole, it's it's all subjective. You may like a tangy sauce. I may like a sweet sauce. Mm -hmm. I'm, this person may like a savory sauce. Yeah. So I think it's all up for discussion. And at the end of the day, no one's really wrong. My pizza, for example, I'm trying to use the product that's available to me within 200 miles. So that's my style of pizza. Whether you like it or you don't, you know, it's it's my style. It, it's what makes me happy at the end of the night. Like I use everything from flour to tomatoes to the produce all coming from California. So there's no, I'm not skipping on that. As far as like New York being the best pizza, sure, maybe it was, but now I think California, <laughs> there's been an, um, a big emergence of pizza places opening up in Los Angeles and it is somewhat of a renaissance. Super, yeah. super. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, the takeaway for me, and um, is, this is really uh, consistently coming up, which is authenticity. Mm -hmm. You're not trying to be somebody else. You're not trying to create a product that somebody else created. No. You're creating a product that you believe in. Right. And your beliefs come across in the product, which ultimately lead to a great product. Right. I think that the best way to describe it is I my first day in the military, they flew me out to Bahrain. So essentially from age 18 to 37, mm -hmm. I've had a lot of like world travels. So essentially my pizza is taking the flavor profiles that I've learned and just putting that on a, a pizza canvas. So it's my pizza is just personal to me. It's more personal than anything for me. And that, and that again, I, I think the, the, the message I want to send across and look, the, the listeners of How You Slice It, I hope are the thousands of other pizza shop owners across the world, hundreds of thousands, future entrepreneurs and operators who aspire to, to open up their own shop. And I think uh, education mm -hmm. is 
in my opinion, the biggest gap. Mm -hmm. And when that education starts becoming more democratized and some of the stories of what makes a special pizza maker mm -hmm. become more available, I believe it'll lead to much greater pizza and authentic pizza being available in more parts of the world. And this is again why I think stressing this point is super important. Right. Too many people that I meet that have subpar products are really a derivative of them wanting to be somebody else, them wanting to recreate something someone else created. Right. And by default, that that leads to a subpar experience. Yeah, I think like I've been cooking ever since I was like 11 years old and food is just so personal to me that I couldn't give you someone else's experience even if I wanted to. Mm -hmm. So, you know, my pizza or the food that I cook for friends and family, like it's extremely personal to me. So that's, that's all I can do. And so turning the page, what has you really passionate about sort of converting this uh, idea on the end product and being sort of this amazing chef to then owning your own pizza shop? Because being a chef is one thing, owning a business, running mm -hmm. a business is a whole whole new challenge. Right. What has you really excited about that? The transition, I think I've been working in fine dining from like 25 to 35. So, you know, sort of kind of being in like that black and white, like everything has to be extremely meticulous. And I think for the last two years, I've tried to take what I've learned from fine dining and implement that into my sort of like business philosophy, but also have fun with it as well. Yeah. Like I think pizza, I just realized that pizza is like the number one food in the entire world. <laughs> yeah. So if you're not having fun using ingredients and just, you know, just making fun of it, then the love will never come across. So as I transition into like this, this pizza journey, I think I've even dove a little bit more within like the last month, even going to like Pizza Expo a couple of weeks ago. Mm -hmm. My eyes are just like, I'm like a sponge. I like to yeah. consider myself a sponge. And like all the knowledge that I've taken within like the last three to four weeks, it has me ex more excited about pizza. Yep. I think for the first year and 10, 11 months, I had to keep up with the demand. So now that I've, you know, went from working like seven days a week to now three days a week, it gives me a little bit more time to sort of kind of like perfect my craft before introducing it to the masses. You've come a long way in your journey so far, and we'll talk a little bit more about where your journey is going, but you've certainly already overcome a lot of the challenges that you thought existed mm -hmm. or barriers you thought existed before you took any steps forward. If we were to go back in, you know, April of 2020, what were some of the mental barriers that you had before you kind of took a leap? And how can future entrepreneurs overcome some of the barriers that exist mentally for us as, as people, as humans, to then overcome them and take that leap forward into business ownership? I think... A lot of people look at the hospitality industry as it being something potentially easy if you're on the outside looking in. Mm -hmm. But being that I've been in this profession for damn near 18, 19 years, it's hard. It's extremely hard. And it's only getting harder with minimum wage going up, yep. prices of goods going up, rent going up. So anyone that's out there who's embarking on a new journey do your homework first. Like that's probably the most important thing. And before trying to open up, maybe invite like a whole bunch of friends over to test your product out. Love that idea. Writing recipes down. Like a lot of businesses open up without even having food costed out. That's like big no-no. 
Because essentially for that food that's going out of the door, if you don't have it costed out, how do you know how much profit you're making? Right. How do you know how much to charge? Right. Yeah. Like one of my favorite restaurants in Los Angeles, it's it's a Thai restaurant. And essentially all prices on the menu are about $7.99, nothing more than $9.99. Interesting. And, you know, I wonder, are they really making money or are they are they content with just like having a name and brand for themselves? Are they not worried about the money? You know, it's it's hard not to be like capitalistic in this in this world, but you know, maybe they're just doing it for for the love, you know? Sometimes. Yeah. Where did you go for help around this topic? How do you make sure that you have a grasp and understanding of the cost? Mm-hmm. How much you should charge? Mm-hmm. So these are again barriers, I call them barriers to entry right. for any new entrepreneur. I was sort of kind of self-taught. So I think from like age 18, maybe up into age 30, I was just a line cook. Um, you know, I've held like some pretty high high titles, but for the most part, I was just working as a, a line cook or just doing what the what the head chef was saying. Mm-hmm. Um, I had opened up a seafood market under um, Chef Michael Samarusi. He's like what Eric Repair is to seafood in New York yep. to California. I was running a seafood market and essentially like had to, I was thrown into the general manager role position after six months of the shop being open. And, you know, I had to sort of kind of like look at prices a little bit differently. So it wasn't anything that I had learned necessarily in the restaurant industry. It was an opportunity of having a higher position, like a general manager, and having to pay attention to all these things a lot more um, carefully, especially with seafood being such like a high perishable ingredient. Mm -hmm. You can't mess that up. Can't mess with it. So I think ever since then, and I think I love the money aspect, you know, like who doesn't want to gain more on return? So what a lot of people don't do is yield test. Yield test is probably one of the the things that they don't teach you. Yeah, you can food cost something, but if you use pineapple on a pizza, it costs $3.99 for one pineapple, right? Well, the reality is you can't serve everything on that pineapple, right? You have to, it's probably like a 65%, 70% um, edible yield. Mm-hmm. So you have to account for that. If you don't account for that, then that $3.99 pineapple now becomes a little bit more expensive. So right. it's, these are some of the small things that, you know, I try to teach, you know, people who are interested about the hospitality industry. Can you talk a little bit more about yield? What are some other examples, super simple examples that shop owners mm-hmm. or operators can incorporate that in their own day-to-day? Um, consistency. Consistency is one of my biggest things. Yep. So utilizing, you know, either ice cream scoops for cheeses, um, ladles, and, you know, not someone having a heavy hand because, right. you know, if this pizza gets 100 grams of tomato sauce, but this guy is using like a bigger spoon... Now he's using 125, 130 grams. Now the consumer doesn't look at the pizza as being consistent. Because it's a different product. It's a different product. Yeah. It's probably going to be a lot more watery. Pizza is sort of kind of like a science if you think about it. It is. Art and science. Yeah. And it's so funny. Like I actually brought my modernist cuisine encyclopedia on the <laughs> on the plane over here. So I've been reading it. Like it was dropped <laughs> in my lap maybe about a a month and a half, two months ago, and I had never even opened it up. Yeah. And I'm just like, oh my gosh, there's just so much knowledge here. Like, I almost feel like I'm a student all over again. And listen, 
I don't have it all figured out. I'm still learning, you know? The mentality of constant learning, mm-hmm. and including for me as a, as a business owner, has been the number one recipe for success. Right. On sort of the, the topic of ingredients and, and yield, but specifically on, on your creative ambitions, there's some examples on your Instagram of some really unique products, mm-hmm. really unique combinations that end up making it on a pizza. Right. What inspires you to go to that level of creative thinking? I think if you're not having fun cooking, then it'll never come across like you're invested in the product. So like I said, I've done a lot of like world travels and maybe 2019, from March 2019 to about October 2019, I was literally on a plane to either a new city or a new country every single month. And one of the places that I had went to, I usually go every year around my birthday is Mexico City. This time I went to Mexico City and Oaxaca. Barbacoa is probably like one of my favorite things in Los Angeles to eat. Mm-hmm. And when I went to Oaxaca, it was just, it, I always call it like the ratatouille moment. It's when you have it, it just takes you back to like this wonderful moment as like a kid or something like that. And one of the pizzas that I have on the, um, the menu is called Californication. And all of the pizza titles are all like West Coast hip hop songs. Mm-hmm and or West Coast like songs. Yep. So Californication, Red Hot Chili Peppers, yep. one of my favorite groups. It's essentially barbacoa on a pizza vessel. You know, I look at the blank canvas of one pizza dough and how can you make it interesting to where maybe someone else thought about it and was just like, man, that would be cool if this idea happened. Um, but yeah, it's um, steamed lamb shoulder, wow. make like a salsa barracha, some pickled red onions, some Oaxacan cheese and like micro cilantro and flowers on top. It's super- You're making me hungry, man. Right, it's super aggressive, um, but it's it's just having fun with it, you know? But again, like you're going for it. You're, you're, you're taking that leap, you're being bold. And I think it's, uh, it's, it's really inspiring. And, you know, I want more people to, to kind of have that courage mm-hmm. to go for it and really, I think, make sure that we don't think of it as a risk. Instead, mm-hmm. it's actually, you know, to your point, having, having a lot of fun. Right. You touched on California, West Coast. Mm-hmm. I mean, I look at you, it's LA hat, yeah. LA shirt, mm-hmm. Clippers fan. Oh, yeah. Hear. Yes, um, yes. Where's the the whole sort of California theme passion coming from you? Is it is it sort of consistent with you know, the authenticity of who you are. Yeah. So I grew up in essentially like a 10 mile bubble. Yeah. And everything that I knew was in proximity within 10 miles. And I have LA tattooed on me. Like (laughs) it's just in my DNA. Like I don't even know what LA means to other people, but it's just like, it's something that I just embody. And I wanted to make sure that I stayed consistent with that brand. You know, like even the merch itself is like the number on the jersey is number 44 of Daryl Strawberry, my favorite baseball player. The shorts are from the Clippers 1996 season in which like I I started becoming a Clipper fan. So everything has a story to it, but it's just details. I love details. I think working in fine dining, it made you pay attention to details a lot more. But I just wanted the pizza to have details. I wanted the merch to have details. Like everything has a purpose. Yeah. What do you say to Met Met fans who who say Daryl Strawberry should be in a Mets uniform? (laughs) I second that. You know, he won a World (laughs) Series with you guys. So, you know. Daryl Strawberry didn't have the best days in in LA. From from the products that you've you know have created that have now become staples. I love your menu. Mm-hmm. 
pizza names. Mm -hmm. What is the one that's sort of most special to you? That's like the staple. Mm. Born and raised, I think is probably one of them. So my dough is essentially like a Neapolitan dough. Yeah. But instead of it being anything between 250 grams to 290 on the high end for a Neapolitan pizza, I go a little bit heavier on my dough. I use 350 grams. Some people may say, whoa, you're just essentially just like throwing away money. But my favorite pizza growing up was Pizza Hut. Like I love the texture okay. <laughs> of the thickness of Pizza Hut pizza. But the born and raised is essentially like my ode to like a margarita pizza. Yeah. Um, utilizes like five to seven different types of basils, um, farmer's market tomatoes, some sun-dried tomatoes, like this beautiful oregano from one of the farms. Like that's sort of kind of like one of the top sellers and Colors is probably another one of my favorites. Colors is uh, mozzarella cheese, uh, tomato sauce, spicy Italian sausage, in which it's a mimic of Jimmy Dean sausage. Okay. Jimmy Dean, like <laughs> if you didn't grow up in a household eating yeah. Jimmy Dean, man, I'm sorry for you. What were you doing? <laughs> what were you doing? Right. Um, and then broccolini from one of my farmers, um, Coleman Farms in Los Angeles, um, then has beautiful arrangements, like some broccoli flowers. So essentially it's just utilizing the entire brassica broccoli. You know what I love uh, and what I'm learning from you is this approach to pizza mm. and food as an art form. Mm -hmm. And just like a musician who's creating an album and every album has a set of you know records, each one has a name because there's a theme behind it. It seems to me like you're taking a, such a similar approach to your products, uh, the names have meaning. Mm -hmm. The end product is connected to the name and then all of that is connected to, to who you are. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about that as an approach to, to being a pizza maker and what, what can others learn from that sort of theme? Just be authentic, like we had touched on a little bit earlier. Just don't try to do someone else's product. Do what resonates with you. Like I said, like I could have used a, a classic Italian um, sausage meat recipe, but you know, I even put like Thai chilies in there. Like that's unconventional. Like even in the tomato sauce, there's a little bit of a Thai chili flakes. That's a little secret right there. Yeah. <laughs> um, but it's going against the grain in what people associate with it being one thing. Like I think people think of pizza as a very linear thing, but there's so much room for like improvement and growth with it that that's my approach. Yeah. I just want to make it my own. And similar to, you know, other artists in, in other forms of art, let's use music as an example. You know, once an artist drops an album, they don't stop mm -hmm. and say, well, yeah, that's my album. And here's the, the set of records on the album. They are consistently looking for, you know, ways to improve themselves. And they always strive for that in their next album. And, and I think um, what I appreciate about you is sort of this consistent journey to create more records mm -hmm. yeah. uh, just in the form of pizza. Right. I look at, you know, I know he's under like a lot of scrutiny and whatnot, but like look at Kanye West for a perfect example. Yeah. Look at his intro album. Look at his album following that, the album following that. Then you have like Yeezus where it's just like completely aggressive. So it's like he's wanted to evolve so much just as an artist to where no two bodies of work look exactly the same. Yeah. And I think that was sort of kind of like my approach with, with pizza. You know, like, I know this pizza place is doing that and that and that, but like, let's flip it on its head, you know? Let's yeah. do it this way. And I think that's just such a differentiated and important approach to staying relevant, to introduce products to your existing customer base who are always then looking for 
new ways of experiencing your brand and your your art form mm-hmm. and and to make sure that your menu doesn't become stale right and I, I never think, wanted to be stagnant like, exactly never exactly and i think uh that's just such an important takeaway from from this conversation what allows you to be really authentic by design is your locally sourced approach what drives that passion for locally sourced products and ingredients how do, how do you make that work for you so the great thing about California produce is there are some restaurants in New York who get certain products sent from California to their restaurant. Tomatoes being tomatoes the, being the one, core one. Yep. With the abundance of produce that California gets, I wanted to treat the menu as sort of kind of like a revolving door in the sense of, yes, corn may only be in season for this amount of period of time. But I'm going to use the best corn. But once it's gone, it's gone. Like it's, So it almost sort of gives like the, the exclusivity to it. Um, and I think when you work with the seasons, you're utilizing the best product at the best optimal time. So me that I've worked in like these like high caliber restaurants across the world, like even worked in um, a restaurant in Australia where we essentially grew our produce. So someone would go to the farm seven o'clock in the morning, pick all the edible garnishes, and then it was on the plate at six o'clock at night. I think when you have that appreciation for food and just like knowing where the product comes from, why wouldn't I want to use that? Yeah. Like it has more flavor. Like, I'm not just saying it. Like, there's a reason why arugula grown or like harvested like two months ago or a month ago is amazing at that point because it's super spicy. Like, I love flowering arugula because it's a lot on the spicier side, a lot more bitter, a little bit as well. So, yeah, I just think the product, the product is everything. The product is everything. And I never wanted to deviate from utilizing sort of like the best products because the product is going to taste absolutely a little bit better yeah and and what are some some like pieces of pieces of advice you would share with pizza makers around the world on how they can connect better with their local community and locally sort of local farmers and mm-hmm. how can others get sort of closer to the you know the opportunity to, to source their products and their ingredients locally. Trial and error, you know, like going to the local farmer's market and just establishing a rapport with these people, um, asking questions like, I see the squashes in season, but when is the best time to get the squash? You know, it's just asking questions. You know, did you, did you go online and search, you know, did you sort of say, Hey, I need squash. And then did you like go on Google and search who, who's locally like sourcing them or I go to the farmer's market every single Wednesday. I've been doing that ever since 2016, go to the farmer's market every Wednesday and you just try trial and error. Like there can be 10 different farmers who have peas, but you pick one pea pot up from this farmer, you taste it, you crack them open, you eat them. Okay. (laughs) Bees don't taste like anything. And you go to the next one. And then you source who has the best products. Like, it's all just trial and error. You have to go out there and do it. You just have to do it. Yeah. I'm really excited for you because you're about to turn this passion and art form into a full-blown pizza shop. And uh, we quickly spoke about that uh, before we started recording. Another fellow pizza shop owner is, in fact, partnering with you in a way Mm -hmm. to help you get off the ground and kind of give you a foundation, a platform Mm -hmm. for your brand and and your products. What can we expect? When I started the pizza business, it wasn't because I was 
in love with pizza. This is me being extremely vulnerable. Of course. It wasn't because I was in love with pizza. Like I probably only ate pizza maybe a few times a year. And I know that that's probably sacrilegious to a lot of people, <laughs> but I love it. I love everything about it. Like the tomatoes, the different types of cheeses that are out there on the market, different types of hydration. Like I look at food as like a science and sort of kind of like perfecting the, the search for perfection. It's not obtainable, but the closer that we can get to it, the better. Yeah. I just probably got way more excited about pizza within like the last month. Like it's, I live, eat, sleep, all I think about is pizza. Um, so I think the overall product that I will try to put out there to the world for the masses is something that, you know, I don't claim to know it all. You know, I had a, an extremely great pizza mentor, Evan Funky, sort of kind of like helping me with my, my, uh, my pizza recipe. Um, very fortunate about that. Yeah, I think when the doors open to Brandoni's, just know that you are getting the most honest, the most vulnerable, aspects of what I represent. And, you know, I'm looking at a brick and mortar location right now. Hopefully within the next six months, we could um, sell that first uh, za out the window. But it's picking like the, the perfect location. It's, you know, partnering up with the people who want to see your vision all the way through. Um, it's not being extremely overzealous in this process. I sit there and think about it like I took two years to get to this to this moment. I don't want to scooch the pooch, you know, like yeah. I want to just make sure I dot all my I's and cross all my T's to where everything just makes sense. And it's extremely cohesive and I feel amazing about it. So, you know, six months, hopefully, you know, we'll have uh, doors open. I'm really, really excited for you. And and you recently went to the Pizza Expo. Mm -hmm. You know, I've been there and I've attended since 2010. Mm -hmm. But I think this was your first time. It was. What was that experience like? As soon as I walked through the door, I saw Wiley Dufresne of <laughs> WD50. You know, we uh, asked him a couple questions. I was like, are you in the pizza market now? He was like, I guess I am. So it's just, you know, I look at him and I look at him as like, I admire him because he's done like fine dining. And that's sort of kind of like my background. So for him to get in something like pizza, it's just like, man, like, that's cool. But I think just seeing what other products are out there. I didn't even realize that the cheese that I was using on my pizza is sort of kind of like the Cadillac of cheeses. <laughs> I did not know that. So, you know, I'm just still finding out like uh, what other products are out there. Do you view the pizza world as a community? Um, who are some people you look up to from, uh, from an existing operator standpoint? And what are some things you're looking forward to once your doors are open? Yes, I think the brotherhood and sisterhood yeah. of pizza is definitely out there. I have two mentors um, who have sort of kind of like held my hand throughout this process. And, you know, I owe a lot to them. Evan Funky being one of them, um, even just having a friend of James of Prime Pizza and just utilizing the resources that you have. I think just surrounding yourself with people who see your vision out, who want to help, genuinely help, mm -hmm. Um, I think that's probably one of the first steps of opening up a business. Some relying on people, people that you can um, call no matter what time in the day to sort of kind of just like pick their brain about something. Um, and then just do your own homework, to be honest. There's a, a line in Jiro Dreams of Sushi. You must dedicate yourself to your craft. And if you don't have dedication, then what are we really doing? Right. Then why are you there? Why are you there? Yeah. If you don't love what you do and do what you love, just stop there. 
I'm going to ask this question because it's something that keeps any entrepreneur up, but I also want to ask it because I think it can help entrepreneurs alleviate this feeling of being alone. Hmm. What is your number one fear going into the brick and mortar opportunity? Um, success. <laughs> success. One could easily look at the business and say, wow, you've been extremely successful the last two years. But I think the first year it was it was during the pandemic and it was I created a model before all restaurants sort of kind of pivoted to that model. So I was takeout and delivery April 7th. And a lot of restaurants didn't sort of kind of like jump on the that bandwagon or not bandwagon, but they didn't pivot until like maybe a month or two later. So the fact that I had already established myself and sort of kind of just like you pick up your pizza from me, it's only one person that's making it. And it's just there's no cross contamination with, yeah. with COVID or anything like that. So I think the reality for me is was I only just a temporary place in the pizza world? And now that, you know, sort of COVID is slightly like a little bit more relaxed. Do I still have that relevancy? So, you know, that's something that I think about every single day. And I think I just deal with those own demons of just like having confidence. Yeah. Will people show up? Right. Yeah. Who are the best local brands, restaurant brands in LA that you look up to? Mm, people that have been doing it for a long time. There's Apple Pan, which is a, a burger place that's been around. Like my mom had that burger. Oh, like I love diners, like the the Nickel Diner, um, Pans, um, restaurants. Like if you've been doing it for more than like 15 years, like that's amazing. You know, restaurants like Providence, um, Moza. I mean, I'm probably dropping a, a few, but people who have longevity in the game. Yeah. That means that they're still willing to grow and still sky's the limit. They're they're reaching for something that's, you know, in the future. And I think if you can sort of kind of like grasp on to a mentor like that, then, you know, you have um, some seeds of knowledge. Awesome. And then uh, what do you think the Clippers do this year? I mean, we're definitely going into the play-in. <laughs> um, better question is, what about the Brooklyn Brooklyn Nets? And what about the, the I mean, Knicks? the Knicks, uh, I was going to, I was hoping you're not, you're not going to bring up the Knicks. I'm but going to the game we want to say. Yeah. So we're, we're not making it in. At all. At all. At all. However, I will say this, the Knicks not making it at all are still more relevant. And they're on the back of the New York Daily News. 10 out of 10 times over the Brooklyn Nets, even if they are in the dance. You know what's crazy? I know I'm in New York right now. Knicks love their teams. That's right. How are you guys, you guys aren't making it to the playoffs, yet you are still relevant for some reason. It's the Mecca. It's the Mecca. Okay. You know, I'm getting away from pizza, but mm -hmm. why not a Lakers fan? Oh, <laughs> one I've never, one I've never liked their color palette. Okay, purple and gold was just never my thing, and I love cheering for the underdogs. Okay, okay. Um, so go Clippers. Awesome. Thank you so much. Of thank course, you for thank being you. here. Thank you once again, Brandoni, Pepperoni mm -hmm. coming soon. Brandon, thank you again for for being here. And uh, let's not yeah. forget about that Instagram handle too. I was just gonna go there. L A underscore Brandoni underscore Pepperoni. Amazing. Yeah. And I, I already checked. There's some amazing content on there. So hopefully, yeah. Big plug for that. All right. Thank you so much. Thank you for yeah. having me.